0: Happy Halloween and welcome to Paperback Readers.
1: Hopefully technical snags out of the way. It looks like they are. Maybe some ghosts and goblins getting a hold of the uh, equipment or my brain for forgetting to plug in the microphone, which is always a risk too. But anyway, hope you're reading a lot of books. We've read a lot. I know I have for once. so.
0: So why don't you get us started?
1: All right. I read the book, The Church of Baseball, The Making of Bull Durham, Home Runs, Bad Calls, Crazy Fights, Big Swings, and Hit by Ron Shelton. Uh, who was a former minor league baseball player who loved the movies and got into the movies and really more than talking specifically about Bull Durham, which is one of the legendary baseball movies? Uh, Tim Robbins, Kevin Costner, Susan Sarandon.
0: Which I have seen, even though you don't believe me.
1: I don't think you have. I have seen it. I'm going to test you right here. No, I'll get you, I won't.
0: I can't remember.
1: Lollygaggers.
0: <laughs> Lollygaggers
1: mean anything Look, to you? I
0: know I saw the movie. That's all I know. No. Yes, I did.
1: Okay. Well, anyway, more than just about the movie, it's really about how Shelton got into writing movies and how the process of making a movie works. And that's something I knew less about than I did about the movie Bull Durham. And thus, I mean, he's a very good writer. It was an interesting uh, run through that really bizarre and strange experience.
0: You really liked this book. You kept trying to read me parts of it.
1: He's, he's a really good writer. I mean... He wouldn't have to be. He wrote Bull Durham and (laughs) lots of other movies. Uh, It's not like that was the end of the road for him. That was the beginning of the road. But uh, the the politics within movie making are pretty fascinating. Like when they try to take Tim Robbins out of the movie halfway through.
0: I just, I can't even.
1: Yeah, I I don't know. But anyway, you know, a different thing, something that's not along the normal lines of what I read, but... uh,
0: but still very you.
1: Oh, picked it up and enjoyed the heck out of it. Now, I got an archive and read a book called Baseball Light by Ron Luciano. When I was about 9 or 10 years old, I read this book. And this book was one of the things that got me into baseball. Uh, Ron Luciano was a former Major League umpire. And basically, he went through the 1989 season and told funny stories about what happened. Um, Luciano wrote several other books back when he was an active umpire in the seventies and early eighties, uh, really a character, a larger than life guy. Um, he's gone now, but, uh, he was somebody who, who just, the joy he took in baseball really was contagious. And it was fun to go back and read a book that I hadn't read, you know, in 30 years. So I love
0: doing that every now and
1: then. Yeah. So, so that was a good one and I revisited it and enjoyed every page. And then, also read As They See Them by Bruce Weber. I was on a baseball run, what can I say? And the subtitle of that is A Fan's Travels in the Land of Umpires. So, it's a book about umpires. And Bruce Weber does some umpiring himself. He goes to umpire school so he could learn how to be an umpire. Um, You know, some interesting, the phrase is inside baseball, but in this case it really is inside baseball. Uh, Just the stories about how these guys get where they are and the stuff they put up with and the craziness of what they do. I, I really think, particularly after going through this book, it would be a job where you have to be cut from a different cloth to want to do that, uh, but at the same time, an important job and, you know, a, an interesting kind of behind-the-scenes look at umpires and what they do. Uh, I also read The Fight of the Century by Michael R. Cush.
0: Man, you really have been reading
1: and this one wasn't baseball. This one's boxing. I'm not a huge boxing guy, but uh, you know, it's it's kind of a pop culture book, really, in a lot of ways. It's about the Ali-Frazier fight in 1971, and you know, there's a lot about America wrapped up in that. the The story that I didn't know was how hard it was to make that fight happen, just because Ali was still so hot politically, off of refusing to fight in Vietnam, and then you know, he was convicted of of you know, draft evasion, and it looked like he was going to have to go to prison, and the Supreme Court came in at the last minute and said, no, that's not going to happen. But there were a million things that could and did go wrong trying to get this fight going until it finally happened, and it's one of those legendary cultural moments, Uh, Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, and, you know, short of being there, which was nine years before I was born, so I wouldn't have known it, it was really interesting. It's hard for me to fathom when boxing really mattered. Uh, You know, our son talks about this with me and and I kind of got the last vestiges of it because Mike Tyson kind of mattered culturally. People knew who he was and kind of cared about him. But even by the time he was big, this stuff was all on pay-per-view. Nobody watched it. I remember one time Mike Tyson fought on regular TV and I watched it and it lasted like a minute. So that was kind of anticlimactic. But Anyway, at times, it's been a big deal, and Fight of the Century is a good chronicle of one of those times.
0: Well, awesome. I am not, know nothing about boxing, less than nothing. So
1: Maybe you should so. read it. <laughs>
0: Maybe so. All right, um, especially as everything that I read was pretty much the opposite of everything you just said. I'm so. sure it
1: was full of umpires and boxers. <laughs> I mean, come on.
0: Okay, well, two of the things that I read were our shared read for this week and then our shared read for next time.
1: So
0: I'm not going to go into those two, but I did finish both of those on these two weeks. Then I read All I Want for Christmas by Maggie Knox because who doesn't start reading Christmas rom-coms before Halloween? I think that it's weird if you don't do that. I think everyone should be doing that. Actually, it was honestly a little bit too early even for me. I love Christmas year-round, there are a couple of Christmas things in our room that I keep out year round, but I don't. I just could not get into this one as much. And whether it was the story's fault or the fact that you know it was eighty degrees and <laughs> we were buying Halloween candy, it was a sweet little book. Um, I probably should have just read it a month or so later. Then I read *Lark Ascending* by Silas House, which was a total about face from a sweet little Christmas book into a post-apocalyptic world. Um, Silas House jumped across the globe for a setting for this book. We've talked in the past when we read his book um, about how one of the things we've loved about him is the way he writes the South, the settings. But in this book, he did just as beautiful a job with the setting, but he put it in Ireland, a place that he also loved. So um, the background for this one is that there's been a lot of religious fighting in America and all over the world. In America, the ruling party is called the Fundies, short for the Fundamentals. Not hard to make these jumps here about the kind of world that he's seeing where everyone must believe the way that they do or they are ruthlessly pursued by the army. In this story, Lark and his family have tried to escape to Ireland where They are told that Ireland is the last country that is still accepting American refugees. And um, it's the story of his trying to find a place of peace in this world when he is different and does not fit into the fundamentalist army uh, theology. So it was um, not a total departure really from his books because I feel like in all of his books he's writing about people who are different from the status quo. Yeah. Um, but still, that, that whole post-apocalyptic kind of setting for him was new, very unusual for a guy who usually sets everything in the South. It was still a beautiful book. It was haunting. Um, it was very sad. It was also very hopeful. And if you like Silas House, don't miss this one. That means you too, Joe. You haven't read it yet. You need to read this one. No, I
1: haven't. I thought about it, but, uh, yeah, the, the. It's one of those things where I'm almost in a place where I'm reluctant to read anything that really leans too heavily on the times now. I'd much rather read about long ago and far away right now. And, and I
0: would too, but I think that the thing is you've got to read about it to help you see what it could be. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I read to escape too, but I think that we need to read... To see the other possibilities also.
1: I've I've read almost all of his stuff. No doubt I'll get to it.
0: Okay. Then I read Eat Up by Ruby Tando. This was a book that I saw in um, Off Square Books in Oxford, Mississippi. And I picked it up and read the description and thought this book sounds fabulous. And then I was looking at reviews of it and squinting at the author photo on the back. (laughs) And that's Uh when I figured out that the author of this book was on the Great British Baking Show, which is one of our Favorite things to force our poor son to watch as a whole family. Natalie and you and I love the Great British Bake Off. Ryan does not really like he it as much. He sits he's in over there for it. a
1: while and then gets up and goes and plays basketball. He liked it a girl.
0: lot for like a season and now he's really, really bored with it. Um, but the rest of us have thoroughly enjoyed it and Ruby was fun to watch when she was on it. She was one of the younger contestants, one of the earlier seasons too.
1: I don't know, feels like the middle to me, but there have been so many.
0: And we watched them out of order. And the
1: uh, the ordering that Netflix does is out of order, but that's another thing.
0: Anyway, she's written several cookbooks and some books about food. She is a food columnist now. And this book was written about the disordered ideas that we have about food, um, less really about our bodies, although she does talk about eating disorders in this book, and more just about... What makes good food and bad food and why do we judge um, it and ourselves and each other so harshly for what we eat? Um, I found it actually to be a really comforting kind of book to kind of help me readjust the idea that, you know, some weeks are just busy. Some weeks I can cook every single night and cook something really healthy and delicious. And other weeks I'm calling you on the way home being like, please go order a pizza. I cannot, I'm not going to be home in time. Or I just, I'm too exhausted. And Ruby Tando's idea, or like her, the kind of the premise for this book is neither of those ways are wrong. You do what you do, you do what you have to do, you do the best you can. Most of the time, you will hit some kind of balance. Stop being so hard on yourself.
1: I can see that from Ruby. She was, the way (laughs) she carried herself on that show, you got the vibe that she was somebody who might have some grand ideas and also might come home and be like, "Eh, this is a long day tomorrow.
0: And yet, this book was um, not totally what I expected in that her writing is gorgeous. I read one reviewer who said that he did not like this book because it basically read like poetry, and I thought that was an asset. She had gorgeous writing about food, the way she thinks about it and talks about it. She's also obviously a really good food columnist. Her writing was well-researched. She went into food theory in a lot of places. Um, I just found that this book kind of went... It ran the gamut on all kinds of food writing within it, and I really enjoyed the whole thing. So I would recommend it. The last thing that I read this week was called Bad Vibes Only, and it was written by Nora McEnnerney. It's a it,
1: great title.
0: It really is. Um, and it's a book of essays. It reminded me a lot of um, Mary Laura Philpott's books, maybe more her first book, I Miss You When I Blink. And her second book, Bomb Shelter, which we've talked about on here. Uh-huh. Um, it, mostly because the topics kind of jumped all over the place. Really sort of rooted in um, a person who's in their late 30s, early 40s, a woman. Because that's who she is. That's what she's writing from. But it, it's looking at the perspective of um, that age kind of woman on the world today. And the pulls and tugs on her psyche what she should be, what she should do, how she should, how she should be a mom, a career person, um, just a person in the world, and how you kind of figure out what that spot is. Um, it was really funny at times. I read you an essay or two. Mm-hmm. It was really poignant at times. It was also very thought-provoking at times. Um, very, very well-written. If you like essays... Um, If you liked Mary Laura Philpott, then this would also probably be a book that you would also enjoy. And I was very happy that I got to read it. Yes. All right. That leads us into our shared book for this time, which is called... Let me grab it. It's called, Will a Circle Be Unbroken? And the subtitle is A Memoir of Learning to Believe You're Going to Be Okay. And it is written by Sean Dietrich.
1: I take full responsibility for the choice of this fine work of literature because in off square books in lovely scenic historic oxford mississippi as i pondered various books which i might purchase i picked up this one and looked at it for a minute and thought this seems interesting
0: yeah we really knew nothing about sean dietrich who on instagram or all all social media goes by sean of the south um, until we you bought this, and then I we talked about this last time. How I started reading it to you on the way home. Mm-hmm. Um, you talk just a minute about what is the premise behind this book. It's a memoir. So what's he what's he talking about? With it?
1: It's it's a memoir, but it really is a coming of age story about him, about how he grew up in this family. Where I mean. Can't avoid the spoiler here. Can't talk about it without talking about this. But uh, his father gets messed up one day, smacks his mother around, and then goes off and shoots himself. And, you know, it devastates their family, as it would. It devastates Sean's entire life. He
0: was a little kid.
1: Yeah. And, And from this, he's working jobs the second he can. He drops out of school. Um, So in in many ways, it's a book about him finding himself. And in many ways, it's a book about him coming to terms with this absent father, with this father who has gone from so much of his life and the parts that he is there for is often so destructive that it would have been better were he not there.
0: It's kind of really about coming to terms with the things that are done to us that are out of our control and how do we learn to live a full life when there are so many things that we couldn't have changed if we wanted to.
1: Yeah. Springsteen has a line where he says, we all get bit by the snake, but we don't all have to succumb to the poison. And in a lot of ways, that's that's what Sean Dietrich has to go on. There's some really interesting mystic moments in this narrative. The
0: blind man. Yes. <laughs> there's the, It really is. You read this book, and Sean Dietrich does not really, um, he doesn't explicitly approach it this way in the book, but you read it and you think, I mean, this book is just full of the Holy Ghost.
1: Certainly, certainly. Uh, all through it. And, and it's full of that, fundamental struggle of humanity. I stopped and read one chapter to our daughter um, because it was him talking about how he got into community college and how oh, so he had to overcome his fear of that. He wanted to do it, but he was scared of it. And I read her that chapter and we got done and I said, and that's what my dad did. My dad, you know, he's a community college teacher. That, that was what he, he dedicated his work to this knowledge that there were people out there who this was for and they just needed somebody to walk alongside him and say, you can do it. You'll be okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and a lot of people did that for Sean. And there are, if we're missing anything here, it's how truly side-splittingly, Funny, this book is at times.
0: Oh my gosh. I said last time, the first chapter, I was just howling with laughter, and the second one, I was sobbing. Sean Dietrich is a hilarious writer, but he is also capable of writing about very deep emotion with a lot of truth and a lot of tenderness.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to whom would I compare Sean Dietrich? The name that kept coming to me in terms of a Southerner who can approach his working class roots with a light touch at one point and then a deadly serious earnest touch the next. I thought about Rick Bragg, but I think Sean writes without a lot of the baggage that Rick Bragg brings to his Well, career.
0: I was going to say, I, I'm i with you, and we love Rick Bragg around here. Yeah. We really, really do. Sean Dietrich is better.
1: Yeah, if, if I were... Choosing between them in a fantasy writers draft, I'm going to pick Sean Dietrich. I'm sorry, Rick. You're you're still great, but
0: yeah, we still love you. But yeah, um, yeah. I said we said when we um, when we uh, posted this, we haven't posted it yet, but when we set up the post for this that we're going to publish in a few minutes. We said that. Um, He's one of our new favorite writers. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: And, and, you know, what what is writing or what is reading largely about? It's about finding these new voices who you haven't come across before, and then you can go out and and snap up everything they've done, which... Which we're going to be doing. Yeah. Yeah. We're doubling down. Well, some of us already have, and well, some are I, catching up. We
0: talked about this again last time, that I went straight to the library and got his newest memoir, You Are My Sunshine, and that's going to be our shared read for next time. More yeah. about that in a minute. He also has a couple of novels, which you have already started tracking down.
1: Yeah, I'm going to check out at least one of his novels, just because I'm I'm intrigued to hear how that works.
0: He also travels around singing and playing mu- and play music and uh, speaking. So if you get a chance, if Sean Dietrich is gonna be anywhere near you, his one man show, I can only imagine, will be wonderful.
1: But she's going to be near us soon, so I'm hopeful that I'll get to check that out. But
0: I will not be able to. Cross but,
1: my fingers, yeah. You're... And I'm
0: bitterly jealous if you do go. But well, yeah. you can still go. I'm not saying you cannot. <laughs> <laughs> One of us should get to enjoy I'll bring it. my
1: phone and make him uh, make a video for you. No, I'm kidding. I'm not <laughs> one of those people. I'm not going to do that. But I might. You never know.
0: All right. You Are My Sunshine is our shared read for next week, uh-huh. also by Sean Dietrich. And this is the story of when his wife has a medical medical scare and her response to it is that she wants to do something big. And so <laughs> he and his wife, two non-athletes, Decide to bike the uh, CNO Trail. I forget what CNO stands for.
1: Chesapeake and Ohio. It's it's an old railroad okay, route, okay. right? Yeah.
0: Um. To to do something big, and they embark upon this in 2020, in the middle of the pandemic, when uh-huh. everything is shut down, jobs for Sean are drying up, depression is high, and so they decide to to carry out their crazy bike trip during this time period um i've finished it already you have only started it but mm-hmm. it's so so good
1: yeah I've, I've enjoyed what i've gotten to so far so we'll hopefully everybody else that. appreciates him and enjoys him uh, again can't can't recommend him strongly enough on a check it out basis
0: absolutely and we'll be of course sharing more about that in two weeks
1: and uh, yeah, we will, and I can also tell you Bob Dylan's new book comes out tomorrow, so uh, I'm going to be talking about that. I actually am
0: tentatively excited about that book. If you give that one a good review, that's the one we'll be talking about. But when I say you a good review, I was going to say, when I say you have to give it a good review, that means you have to say it would be one that other people besides you would like. I mean,
1: it's a commentary on songs. Two of the chapters came out in the New York Times. I thought they were brilliant, but...
0: Well, you know, I thought Chronicles was brilliant. So Chronicles was So if it's anything brilliant. that's like Chronicles, then I will want to read it.
1: Maybe. We'll see. We'll okay. see. We'll, we'll
0: get a shot.
1: My hopes are high.
0: <laughs> um, if you have any thoughts about Bob Dylan's new book, Sean <laughs> Dietrich, anything else that we've talked about today or that you think we ought to be reading, you can let us know at paperbackreaderspod at gmail.com on Instagram at paperback Readers pod or on Twitter at Pback readers pod.
1: Thanks for tuning in and uh, if you're not too busy you might check out this Sean of the South guy he's apparently kind of a big deal in this stuff too but <laughs> but anyway whatever else you're doing whatever else you're listening to please for goodness sake keep reading.